Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Class Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening. Welcome to the Coffee Clutch. Please let me first. Please let me acknowledge our Twitter tweet chat moderators tonight. Our founder, Marianne Russo, and uh, uh, our buddy Mae Wilkinson. And you can find them over on uh, tweet chat with the hashtag TCK. Tonight, our guest is Bruce Salen. Bruce is an internationally syndicated column. Bruce has an internationally syndicated column entitled "A Dad's Point of View." And he hosts his own radio show called the Bruce Allen Bruce Salen Show, a dad's point of view. Before writing the column and having a radio show, Bruce was an award-winning television executive and producer for 25 years, and he's worked with such names as Ingrid Bergman, Ron Howard, Mickey Rourke, Ben Affleck, Hal Holbrook, Hal Holbrook, Sissy Spacek, and the list goes on and on. And I won't butcher those names anymore. Bruce, welcome to the Coffee Clutch. Well, thank you, Chuck. It's a pleasure to join you. Uh, when I listen yeah. to that list, I go, wow, that guy must have been pretty uh, pretty incredible. It feels like a lifetime ago, frankly, but uh, I had a lucky and a wonderful ride in showbiz, for which I'm very grateful. Yeah, yeah it sounds like it. sounds like it's been great. And, uh, you know, looking back, Bruce, you were in your 20s and rising fast in the television industry. And at, uh, what was it, 24 year, or 29, you're a vice president at ABC, is that correct? That's correct. I produced my first movie and got actual producer credit when I was 24. Uh, wow. I made about six or eight movies and producer and other credits during those few years before I got to ABC and then another 20 or 30 afterwards. Uh, uh-huh. So I was uh, pretty pretty uh, intense and pretty aggressive and pretty active. Well, how did you get into television? Well, I am. I have a very mean backhand. Uh, I talked my way into television on the tennis court. Yeah, outstanding. I actually outstanding. sold my first. I sold my first movie on the tennis court too. I was playing against yeah, nope. a uh, uh, senior executive at, at uh, CBS, and I was clearly the better player. But uh, wisely, I let him barely win the first set. And then I had a, a change of heart, and I said, I can't do this. This is like this is very inauthentic. <laughs> and I wiped him off the map the second set. Afterwards, he, he said, I know exactly what you're doing. It was very cool. So what do you got for me? And I pitched him a movie, and he bought it right there. Yeah, outstanding. Outstanding. Well, let's, let's fast forward uh, 12, 13 years uh, from when you're, uh, you're 29 and you're, you're vice president at ABC, and we go uh, forward uh, 13 years, and you're married. You have two boys. Life is great. And uh, then a few short years later, 
you've left the television business, and you're the sole caregiver for your two boys, and you're taking care of your parents. Uh, that was the plan all along, right? No, it wasn't the plan all along. Uh, as you know, you make plans and God laughs. Uh, yeah. So the plan was more or less uh, not not clear to me, but I reacted as needed. And when my my first son was born when I was forty, my second when I was forty three, I had had a lot of fun, a lot of life, a lot of all those business things that people want to do while they still parent, and I could feel my career dwindling. So I chose to walk away before it went nowhere. Uh, uh-huh. At least to say I walked away on my own terms. And then I became a full-time parent. I, of course, did not expect my parents to get ill at the same time, nor, right. uh, of course, did I expect my marriage to end uh, and find myself a 24-7 single parent for five years. So uh, yeah. those things were most definitely not in the, in the planning. Yeah. Well, you know, you go from being the man uh, to being a man trying to take care of his kids. Uh, what, what kind of challenges did you have with the adjustment, and, and what did you learn from uh, those challenges? Well, it's interesting. The the immediate adjustment was not that extreme because I was sort of burned out from showbiz. It's a very mm-hmm. demanding career. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, it's very intense. It can be very frustrating. And I had wanted to be a dad almost my whole life. I never in a million years thought it would take so long to happen. But of course, unless you're uh, a single woman that may choose to have a child without a partner, most men can't do that. And I didn't marry, uh, get married till I was 39. We got pregnant on the honeymoon. Uh, And so I ended up, by the time my my sons came along, I was just so eager. Uh, I really felt as if I had that uh, infamous biological time clock. I, I mean, it was screaming in my ear during my middle 30s. And even though uh-huh. I know, you know, technically men can have kids uh, longer or later in life without as much risk as women, but I, I didn't want to be that older dad if I could avoid it. So by the right. time the kids came around, I was just unbelievably eager. And as my career ended, the choice to give up my career was not that difficult. Um, and the adjustments that happened afterwards were more just surprises. They were surprises in how my community, where I lived, reacted. And they were yep. disappointing surprises. And those surprises are what spurred me on to doing what I do now, which is right. you know the column, my own chat, which is Dad Chat on Thursdays, um, the radio show, and my book. I mean, I'm doing a little bit of everything. I also have a cartoon that I uh, write and uh, I've hired an illustrator called Because I Said So, which I adore, and I think it's really funny. Um, mm-hmm. But it was the response I got that made me realize that the so-called equality between dads and moms was nothing, nothing at all, like you might read. Right. So, so you uh, you you go to the uh, school to do some volunteering, and uh, the moms there accepted you with open arms, right? Oh gosh, yes. And in fact, they accepted me with such open arms that knowing that the mother of my boys, who were six and nine when we broke up, had literally abandoned the family almost completely, knowing that I was at home with two somewhat traumatized boys with their mother gone, their parents divorcing, and my, my their grandparents, my parents both getting somewhat infirmed, most of the moms, knowing all that, liking me, by the way, this wasn't like they didn't like me, they asked me, so Bruce, what do you do all day? And I I, I, I didn't react as quickly as I would now. Now I would say, oh, excuse me, what do you do all day? I mean, if I had asked them that as a non-stay-at-home parent or stay-at-home dad, I probably would have gotten slapped or at the very least a very dirty look. 
Right. But the irony, Chuck, is the men ask me the same question, but a different question. The men always ask me, hey, so when are you going back to work? <laughs> and like, so yeah. to me, both sides were equally insensitive and equally disparaging of the importance of parenting, whether it's a mom or a dad. Yes, yes. And, and you know, I think that's uh, – we see that quite a bit where, you know, uh, society really – doesn't understand the work of the stay-at-home parent. You know, that's it's it's a job. <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, it's a, a real job. job. And what is more oh, yeah. important in the world? Raising your raising healthy, contributing, valuable kids to participate in, in, in life and making the world a better place or repairing the world as I like to say, or making money and getting a new car. Right. Does anyone say on their deathbed, gosh, I sure wish I'd worked more? Yep. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I understand that completely. So, <laughs> now yeah, I don't I, begrudge I, families that have to work hard. Obviously, in our economic times, it, it's not easy to support a family. Uh, so I don't begrudge mm-hmm. it. And I think ideally, if if a couple have kids and one of them can stay home, great. Obviously, a single parent nine times out of ten is going to have to work, and so they're going to just have to be extremely time management sensitive. I mean, if they, if right. you're in that situation, but if you have the the, the freedom or the luxury or you're able in whatever way to spend the time with your kids, boy, what a gift. Because after all, they're on loan. I call it a lease right. option. I, I call raising kids a lease option. If you've done a decent job and if you're lucky, especially today, you know, you'll know you have them for 20 years. So if you live to be 80, maybe a quarter of your life you'll have the kids. If you're unlucky, they'll be at home when they're 35. But then you probably really – you're up a creek. But yeah. um, and you know I don't know if you know this, but over eighty five percent of college grads are coming back to live at home these days because of the mm-hmm. economy. Right. That's a staggering, staggering and frightening statistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I know in the vast majority of those cases, it's not for lack of wanting to work and support themselves. It's because of lack of opportunity. Right. Yep. And and uh, um, I, I think it's it's really incumbent upon you know us parents to. Uh, to teach our kids the, the right values and to, um, you know, to, to, to really instill upon them, you know, uh, our values and how to be uh, a good person in life. And, and you're right, it's, it, it takes a lot of time, and there is, uh, quite frankly, no more honorable uh, position than than being that parent who has to do that and, and is responsible for that. So, you know, for that, Bruce, I commend you. Well, thank you. Thank you. I commend all parents that that put in the effort and the time, the energy, and in many cases the sacrifice. Uh yep. you you can you may if a, if a couple chooses to have one of the parents stay home, it's usually a sacrifice, but it's one that mm-hmm. I know none of them will ever regret. Right. Right. And it you're right. It is a definitely it is a sacrifice. So, you know, one other thing uh I want to touch on, Bruce, uh so you're a single so you were a single parent and um you know at some point you finally, you probably you know I don't know how long it, it it took you but you made a decision to kind of get back out there and start dating again you know uh, <laughs> you uh, bet I did <laughs> that that whole the whole dating scene for the single parent now I went through that scene myself and you know maybe sometime we can compare notes but uh what was that like for you I mean was it was it Total culture shock, or you know, did you just kind of get into it and uh, rode the wave? Well, uh, a little bit of both. 
the culture shock uh, were the occasional times when uh, I might have gotten intimate with a woman and uh, I'd see a, a, a body piercing or a tattoo that would just take me aback. That was uh, maybe the culture shock. Uh, but the, um, uh, the methods of meeting people had so dramatically changed uh, given that a vast majority of, of dating uh, was taking place online. And where, whereas I met the, the, most of the women in my life, including um, my first wife, uh, were, were matches that kind-hearted, good friends introduced us to. And when I found myself single again, I was stunned that very few of my friends were kind of willing to do that. And the reasons often given were, well, you know, I don't want someone to get hurt. And I'm thinking to myself, well, why are we going to get hurt? If you introduce me to, you know, Mary Jane, your good friend, and we don't get along, I guarantee you the very least Mary Jane and I are going to sit and have a good cup of coffee and right. enjoy each other's company. And if neither one of us hits it off, so what? There's such risk in life as it is, why not do your part to help someone out? And yet so many people just didn't want, did not want to be bothered. Now, as you can tell, of course, I'm a highly bashful, shy, retiring sort of guy. So <laughs> yes, you know, meeting that. women was not all that difficult, but it was work, and I took it very seriously. Uh, and I, 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 in fact, I wrote a, uh, a column a long time ago called Internet Dating 101 uh, and how I met my wife. Uh, uh-huh. it was she was approximately the 475th date I had during those five years. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. It was oh, several no, I, hundred. I laugh um, because I understand that completely. Yeah. Uh, so, so tell us a little bit about your your internet dating uh, exploits. I mean, I don't want the the the, 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 the you know the, the details of you know uh, such interludes, but. Um, what was the experience like for you? I mean, I, I'm looking from a, you know, a single dad, someone who's, who was married for, you know, quite some time, um, or you were married for what, five years? Am I no, 10 years, 10 years, 10 years. You, okay. You're married for 10 years. And, uh, um, suddenly you're, you know, like, okay, now it's time to start dating again. Um, what was that experience like? Tell me how, how did you go about, you know, you sound like a very methodical guy. What did you do? Did you, you well, did you research your dating sites and and I did my homework on the dating sites, but that I I, re- I really relied as far as the dating site choices uh, on friends and, and and other people that said, well, you know, Match dot com was great, or they liked eHarmony, or J Date is really good, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, I tried the ones like for instance eHarmony. I know they've had great success. I did not like eHarmony at all. I didn't like right. that a computer program based on some form I feel out, uh, fill out will match me with someone and I get no vote. So right. I can't in any way diss their extraordinary success. So if it works for some people, wonderful. That wasn't good for me. <laughs> I preferred right. to have a little opportunity to pick and choose. But the mm-hmm. thing I ultimately learned in online dating is online dating is, is not really different than in real life dating, certainly in my age bracket. So women my age, uh, in you know their 40s and 50s, and uh, or late 30s. That was kind of my age range, late 30s to early 50s when I was uh, dating. Before now, I'm married now several years, mm-hmm. and so I haven't dated in five or six years. Uh, right. Women like of that generation were not aggressive in pursuing uh, men. So we as 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 guys had to put the effort and make the effort and go out. So 
I had to get used to, much like you when you write and, and do a lot of things, you, you, you don't get a lot of uh, attaboys. You just put out, put out, put out, and you just get right. a lot of rejection. So I had to get mm-hmm. used to basically you know, a 1% or 2 or 3% return rate in essence. So if I wrote 100 emails – to 100 different women that appeared to me to be of interest, you know, I might get five responses or three or ten or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you right. just have to say, this is not personal. And I didn't right. realize how dramatic that was until I ultimately met my wife. It turns out my wife was on Match.com for approximately seven months. During that time, I don't remember the exact number, but she got something like 15,000 emails. <laughs> Now, if you think of that, that's a stunning amount. Yeah. She went through those 15,000, and whatever her you know, method of uh, you know, determination was, she chose to meet seven men. This was over the seven- or eight-month period. I happen uh-huh. to be number seven, and fortunately she didn't go out much, much after we met. We, we got together pretty quickly, although it wasn't instant, you know, wasn't mm-hmm. magic. There, no music went off. It was right. We were adults, and our, comp, our situation was somewhat complicated. Because the other thing I really – when you say I, I might have been methodical, I wasn't necessarily methodical as much as I expected how many moms or women – and I expected I would go with – I would date, and, and I looked for another uh, single mom, meaning likely a divorced mom. Uh, how many women are going to be really comfortable getting involved with a man with, with two young children full-time? Because yep. most men that had kids in a divorce, at best, had them half-time. And my right. situation was the mother of my boys left and was gone and mm-hmm. hardly had any contact for years. Right. So it was 24-7. So you were getting involved with me and my boys. It was non-negotiable. There was no place yep. to shepherd them off to. Yep. So I just assumed the only woman that would put up with anything like that was a woman that might have been in the same situation herself. Uh, and the irony is, as when I met my wife, it turns out she had been married but had not had kids. And right. it, it, it was uh, ultimately a blessing beyond belief because I didn't have any of those complications that I had learned about in the 250 previous dates that I'd been on, which is right. – when you have two kids and they have two kids and you each have a schedule and you each have an ex, it's a juggling act. Yes, there is a uh, exponential factor of uh, scheduling and relationships that that go on in those. Yes, I I agree with you. Yeah, that uh, families who do that, I just I am in awe. Of, I am you too. Know, Particularly mean, the ones out. where they get along with the exes. Uh, I yep. think that's the most wise and smart thing a couple can do when they're getting divorced because if they really honestly sincerely care about their kids they will put past their own, they will get past their own egos and their own anger at their ex and do what is best for their children sadly right. between divorce lawyers and everybody's egos that doesn't happen near enough yep yep i i agree with that and so uh wow you're getting really off track but on a good tangent here uh <laughs> With, with the ex-wives, you know, or with 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 the ex-spouses, um, why do you think it is that, you know, it's so difficult for parents to get past their own personal feelings and, you know, be friendly with their spouse, their, their ex-spouse? Well, I think if you really look at most relationships, uh, I like to say most relationships are uh, when there's a problem – it's never more or less than 60 or 40% my fault or your fault. Mm-hmm. However, and usually it's 50-50. I- I'm not counting 
the cases where a one partner is say abusive or is a alcoholic or is right, right. you know a gambler where it's really extreme but mm-hmm. but in most relationships when couples don't get along you know it's a little bit of it's a little bit of me or like that great monkey song it's a little bit me it's a little bit you uh but in the heat of the moment we all tend to think you know we did nothing wrong it was all him it was all her and that i believe fuels a lot of the discontent because the the husband and the wife just won't own their their responsibility uh also i i believe i was fortunate in one aspect of my divorce and i've always thought about how hard it would be to go through all the horrors that i went through because it was it was financial torture dealing with the lawyers mm-hmm. and the accountants and there was there was mm-hmm. a decent amount of money at stake and my wife as it turned out was was a little bit disabled uh, in in how she approached everything, which turned out to come true later with some mental diagnosis that was very mm-hmm. sad, but that fueled mm-hmm. a lot of what went on that was really uncomfortable. But right. had either one of us been heartbroken in the divorce, which we were not, we were mutually clear that for whatever good or bad reason, we were just not meant to be together anymore. So there was no villain, there was no abuse, there was no other man or other woman. There was just a couple that genuinely had irreconcilable differences and mm-hmm. no longer belonged married. So I believe when that's the case, there's a chance that you could do it amicably. And we didn't because of, I think, her own uh, issues that came up later. But when a man or woman is hurt and their ego is destroyed because their partner says, I don't love you anymore, or worse, Mm -hmm. has cheated on them and left them for someone else, you know, we're human beings. We're imperfect. We're just going to get mad and want to get even. It's not the right thing to do, but (laughs) welcome to, you know, human beings. That's true. That's very true. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, okay, so by the way, as, I do want to as, give you the before we get off inter- internet dating, I, I have a lot of things I think are really important as far as to dos and not do. But the most important is never ever uh, do anything other than meet whoever it is you're interested in for coffee. Just do that first. You can always have yep. a great dinner. You can always follow up. And the other part of that is don't spend weeks and months talking on the phone and emailing and tweeting and chatting, talk to each other to determine if there's some interest and meet because we are human beings, especially men. Most of the time, within three minutes of meeting somebody, there's some chemical yay or nay that goes on. So don't waste your time. Just meet them. And if you do a good job of of, um, discerning who is right for you, I, I found with all those Several hundred women I met, there was not a single one that I could not enjoy a cup of coffee with. Okay, so she showed up and she looked 20 years older than her picture. So what? She still might have something to offer, uh, something to say. I might have immediately said, okay, look, you know, this gal's not for me, but then I'm going to spend 45 minutes and I'm going to at least have a good time. Right. Absolutely. That's a good attitude. Um, that's, That's something that a lot of people should. You know, take the heart. That that is that is a good good suggestion. Um, yeah. So it, with with the dating, Bruce. Um, so you're dating, but the woman you're dating's not just dating you. She's dating your kids. You know, kinda. Um, so tell me, at what point in your relationship do you subject your uh, you know woman friend to, as I call it, the litmus test? You know. That's mm-hmm. maybe when you that's when you decide, okay, she gets along with my boys, you know, she's going to be okay or okay, there's something wrong. She's not, you know, 
she's not right. There's there's something wrong with this, you know, this this relationship between my boys and her and me. So what point uh, in the relationship did you, you know, pull out that litmus test? Well, it's a great question, and I have a somewhat controversial answer to it. Uh, first of all, my situation was uh, a bit different. I did, as I, as I said earlier, I had the boys 24-7. Right. So I, I couldn't, like a lot of divorced parents, uh, go date when uh, the kids weren't with me. So I I had to get a babysitter because they were too young to be on their own. Uh, And and, and, and if I didn't tell my kids what I was doing, I would be be living a secret life. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky in that I had two boys, and I think this is a little different with young girls. They knew, even at the tender ages of six and nine, that mom and dad were not meant to be together. And they had no illusions. It was no courtship of Eddie's father where they wanted to bring me and mom back together. A better example is uh, uh, the parent trap. It was nothing like that. They knew... You know, even though we weren't, you know, yelling a yelling couple or anything ugly and mean, they just knew this was not the right thing. They were young enough just to have that feeling, so they had no illusions that we should be back together. And, and I know a lot of couples and a lot of people have to deal with that, and that makes it harder. So I basically involved my boys in in what I was doing. I told them what I was doing that I was dating. I didn't bring women over immediately or all the time, but I did bring. The women over when they were in that situation that you just described, when uh-huh. I felt, okay, I like this gal, um, I would like to see where it goes, but you yeah. know, I'm a package. I'm a, a three-person mm-hmm. package, also two big dogs at the time. Uh, <laughs> so if they don't like my dogs, they don't like my boys, there's nothing to talk about. It's not that right. I'm a martyr, but you know, it's right. just non-negotiable. I have no choice. Right. I have the kids, right. and if there's some chemical imbalance between them, uh, and by the way, if they have kids, then it's even more important. Now, the therapist will tell you, wait six months. Um, And I have found that to be an arbitrarily ridiculous notion. Six months is an incredibly long time. And it's not about six months. It's about how much time and how much connection you've made. I could date someone for six months and see them once a week, and I could date somebody for a month and see them three times a week and get to know them a heck of a lot faster. So you have to make that determination, and you also have to know, can your kids handle meeting a handful of men or women? Because obviously it's not likely that the first woman you bring over right. or the man is going to be right for you and or right, right. for you know the, the combination. Yep. So it's a delicate balance, and it's not simple. It's just not simple. Yep, yeah, yep. completely agree. I, yeah, I, I don't uh, subscribe to that six-month uh Six month waiting period uh, either, so yeah, I'm with you there. Um, so you know, it, it, okay, so you're in your dating career, you know, you're a professional dater, and uh, you you meet your your current wife. You dug her, she dug you, and at some point, you, the two of you tested the proverbial waters and, and must have had a discussion about marriage. Um, and your wife is Christian, you're mm-hmm. Jewish. Plus, um, I believe your wife is second-generation Chinese? Correct. Right? Is that correct? Okay. All right. So uh, I'm guessing there's a few interesting cultural issues there on quite a few levels. Oh, no, nothing. Nothing. It's so (laughs) simple. Ethnicity, religion, and the biggest of all, probably having a, you know, middle-aged woman marry a middle-aged man with two boys. I mean, I think that's probably the biggest culture shock. Who do you call middle-aged? Well, you know, I don't like being called middle-aged myself, and I keep telling everybody I'm going to live to 250. Um, I'm kidding, but, Chuck. I'm totally <laughs> kidding. I am past yeah, middle-aged. Yeah, 
Yes, so, I, no, no, I, don't, okay. no offense. I didn't, just want to make sure you know right. I was kidding. No, 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 no offense taken. But, okay, people with a considerable experience in life uh, tend, to, tend to be set in their ways when they have to, you know, when they move in together and they get married. So I'm thinking that, um, you know, there was probably some um, interesting, you know, times in the uh, Salon household. Um, indeed, you know, there were indeed. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, I could give you you know hours of discussion on this, but I'll try to <laughs> to be a little more succinct than that. Uh, the interesting thing is, we truly, on paper, have extraordinary differences. But what I have found, both in my showbiz career and in dating, is um, very the the core values trump a lot more than whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not. So the only difference between a religious Christian and a religious Jew is Jesus Christ. Uh, Mm -hmm. If somebody cares about either one of the religions, the Ten Commandments are very powerful and important. The Old Testament is very powerful and important. And my wife and I totally shared those values. So truly Mm -hmm. the only difference was I believed the Messiah hadn't come yet, and she believed he had, and he was you know, maybe going to come back again. So that was really our only difference. Uh, And... So that in and of itself was not as difficult. Christmas became difficult, and I can get to that later. What be, what was more important to me, and I knew this early on, is that my political views were ultimately going to be more of a problem if someone had the other extreme that I did. So my mm-hmm. wife and I shared very similar political views. We had a fundamental belief in the basis of which both of our religions were founded, like I said, the Ten Commandments, uh, with the only d- difference, and I don't mean to make it insignificant, again, being Jesus. Uh, and the biggest cr- struggle we had ultimately was dealing with Christmas. Because our mm-hmm. values were so aligned, um, that wasn't as hard. And Jewish families and Chinese families are, are oddly similar. Very high achieving, very education oriented. The moms are very strong and very dominant. Uh, uh-huh. So in that regard, there was extreme similarities. Uh, Christmas was our biggest challenge uh, because cool. I I had a pretty hard time bringing that into my home. I was still my boys were still young, and we reached a compromise that when my second child uh, completed his bar mitzvah. At that point, he had gone through, at 13 years old, the primary uh, ritual of of being a man in Jewish life. So we agreed that when he turned 13, we could have Christmas in the home. I wasn't ready to do it before. Now, circumstances intruded, and this was a classic case in how a couple can compromise. My wife – so and we were going to therefore do Christmas at her family's house. So I had no problem enjoying Christmas at her family's house, and we did that for two or three years. And then the year in which my son was 12, my wife got sick and could not, and we could not go to her family's. They live in Vancouver. And she asked me and, and, and almost begged me, could we you know, do Christmas this year a year ahead because other, we wouldn't be able to do it based on our original agreement. Right. And mm-hmm. I must say I'm not that cool a guy and not always that nice, but fortunately I made immediately the right choice. And we did Christmas, and we did Hanukkah, and we do both now. My boys are Jewish, but they enjoy, particularly my younger one, Christmas like nobody's business. <laughs> and and we've uh, we've we've made it work. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Well, you know that's that's a great story, Bruce. You know, and 
I think uh, I, I agree with you. I think it, it, it gets down to the core values, and I think, uh, um, you know, we can get past uh, re- religious differences, and you're right, they're, they're not as big as everyone thinks they are. Um, and as long as we throw in a healthy dose of respect in there, I think everything's okay. Well, my so, wife was really wonderful uh, as far as one tradition that mattered a great deal to me. Uh, my boys and I uh, had, had a tradition of celebrating Shabbat every Friday night. Mm-hmm. I make a fresh challah. I make my own bread. And we have a ritual of doing uh, – it takes about five minutes, just three or four blessings. And then we have a wonderful ritual of, of going around the table with everyone sharing the best and worst things that happened to them that week. Only one worst is allowed so we don't get the kids whining. And it's a tradition I just adore. And my wife, to her great credit, um, just came aboard on it right away. She's a wonderful cook but always made an extra special meal for Friday. And, you know, it was part of the problem was when the Christmas uh, dilemma came up, how could I ignore that for week after week after week for like two or three or four years – she had honored my tradition, and now she's saying, okay, you know, go one year earlier on Christmas. I mean, I would have been a total jerk not to give in at that yep. point. Yeah, yep. you're right. It's all about compromise, and, you know, that's what life is all about. Yeah, so, I believe in compromise as long as we do it my way. That's <laughs> Well, with Bruce, that will be the last word that we have tonight. We are unfortunately out of time, but it was great speaking with you. Uh, again, Bruce, uh uh, has his uh, syndicated column called A Dad's Point of View, and you can also find his uh, radio show out there called The Bruce Salen Show, A Dad's Point of View. And, Bruce, it was great having you tonight, and uh, have a great week. Thank you very much, and please uh, please join my dad chat on Thursday evenings, uh, 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Moms and dads are welcome. It's great fun. Thank you so much, Chuck. Okay, Bruce, thanks a lot. So long. Okay, and with that, as we end every show, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Uh, As Mary Ann would say, uh, folks, have a great week, um, and we will talk with you later. Good night.